What is one part of church history everyone knows about without actually knowing anything about it? Today, we've reached a part of our podcast where we're going to look at the Crusades. Whenever I talk to atheists or Muslims or even so-called progressive Christians, I always hear about the Crusades. Even Obama, after an Islamic terror attack, said, us Christians have a lot to apologize for. Remember the Crusades? Christians are beat over the head with a Crusades club fairly regularly, but is that fair? There are three ways people tend to see the Crusades. One, mobs of Christians just out of the blue decided to go and kill Muslims because they were a different religion than them. Two, they have no idea what the Crusades are about except it was bad and Christians did it. Or three, Christians defended themselves and freed land the Muslims had taken control of and, you know, stuff happened, but hey, it's war and also it was medieval war, so... The truth is the Crusades were very complicated and also not just one thing, hence the plurality of the word, the Crusades, plural. The church did some pretty horrible things, also... They had reasons for what they did. And if the Crusades hadn't happened, I'd be wearing a burqa right now, or I'd be in prison for refusing to wear one. The Crusades shaped the world we have today for the bad and for the good. For one thing, the idea of good war and bad war, and the idea that a war could be just or unjust, that very idea came from the Crusades. It didn't really even exist before that time period. The idea of war crimes and that something done during war could still be considered murder, this was a new idea that came from this time period. So, ironically, the rules that we use to judge the Crusades only exist because of the Crusades. Now, we could say these rules were also seen in the Old Testament, But on a global scale, these were not rules until the end of this time period. The Crusades also gave the church the power to kill people. If you've been following along in our history, you'll remember that in our last episode, the church suddenly had the power to crown and decrown kings. But by the time the Crusades end, the church has the power to sentence people to death. This leads to the Inquisition, which is a whole other podcast that we will get to. The Crusades created whole new countries that we have today. The Crusades also drove the final spike between the Jews and the Christians that would not be reconciled for many years. And although today the Christians and the Jews are not only friends but great allies, this took many years and the divide was entirely on the fault of the church. The Crusades also divided the Muslims and the Christians, although to be fair, they were never actually united. You can go back and listen to the episode Muhammad and also last week's episode. Really, Islam has hated the church and tried to destroy it from the very start, so blaming the divide on the Crusades is pretty weak historically. However, the Islamists do not see the Crusades as a thing in the past. They see the American troops in Afghanistan, Iraq, and Syria as Crusaders. 
This last year, there was a bombing in churches in Sri Lanka, and the ISIS bomber said they were killing the crusaders. Little kids were blown up while worshiping in Sunday school class on Easter Sunday, and to the Islamist who did it, those little kids were crusaders? And do you know that even Columbus's adventure that led to the discovery of America was part of the Crusades? And that the first war America fought as an independent nation was a war against Islamists in Libya. We're going to cover all of those things in future episodes. For now, we're talking the Crusades. But I want to be fair and accurate. And that means we're going to look at this time period, not like a Disney movie with obvious heroes and villains. Instead, I want to paint a picture that will help you put yourself in the shoes of the people who are there. If you happen to just start with this episode, let me say, my recommendation would be to start from the beginning. We will do a little recap of what's been happening, but it would be better to listen to all of these podcasts from the start. Also, there's no way I'm going to get to cover the Crusades in one episode. I'm not sure how many episodes it's going to take, but each one is so different that they have to be seen individually. And it's not really fair to look at the Crusades as one thing. Today we're talking about the People's Crusade, which is not an actual church-recognized crusade. It's like a prequel to the First Crusade, which we're going to talk about next week. Let's set up what the world looked like at this point. The Roman Empire had controlled all of the Mediterranean Sea and the areas around it. That included Spain and Italy, Greece, the Holy Land, Africa, Turkey, and more. Slowly, the church became the prominent religion in the Roman Empire. Now, this did not happen through force. In fact, people had their livelihood taken from them, or they were beaten or imprisoned or killed for joining the church. But the more people persecuted, the more the church grew. When Rome was divided into the east and the west, the western part of Rome fell. Life went on basically the same for the people living there because by then it was the church that had become the culture and the dominating force of the western area of Rome. The eastern part of Rome did not fall. We look back at history and we call the eastern part of Rome the Byzantine Empire, but that word didn't come until historians made it up. They simply called themselves Rome. The church then started to send out missionaries into the boonies areas like Britain and France and Germany. And these all became Christian areas. Now, these missionaries didn't force Christianity on these people, but rather converted them through the gospel message. Now, we did mention in past episodes that some kings of France did try to forcibly convert people to Christianity, but that was stopped by the church. In fact, the missionary Boniface, who brought the gospel to the Germans, died while baptizing new Christians. The whole group was attacked by pagans and all died refusing to fight back. So by the time Muhammad came onto the scene, Spain, Italy, Greece, Holy Lands, Africa, Turkey, France, Germany, England were all Christian, and the gospel had spread through the good news of Jesus Christ. The gospel had spread through the blood of martyrs, who didn't take the lives of unbelievers, but rather laid down their lives and were killed by the unbelievers. This is the plan Jesus had and the way he calls us to evangelize. Muhammad died in the year 732 and in the last few years of his life had become a bloody tyrant, taking control of land by force. Christians and Jews were forced to pay a tax, convert or die and were second class citizens. 
After his death, Islamic force continued to attack and take by force land that had been Christian and forcibly turn that land into Islamic land. Within 100 years of Muhammad's death, Islam was controlling Africa, the Holy Land, Persia, India, Spain, and they almost got France, but they were stopped by the hammer. That might sound to us like just names of countries, but just imagine for a minute it was America. Imagine that within a hundred year span, Islam had taken control of Washington, D.C., New York, California, Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, Colorado, and Utah. They had torn down any statues or buildings that had American significance, and they had set up Islamic law. Women were forced to cover from head to toe, and anyone not Islamic had to pay a tax. Churches could not advertise they were churches, and Jews had to wear the Star of David. Now, how would the Americans in South Carolina respond to that? For the church, this is how it felt. The area had been under Roman rule and Roman culture for over a thousand years and had been Christian for 700 years. So in just 100 years, the areas where the apostles had preached, where the first church councils had occurred, where schools had been, the home of Augustine and Ambrose, were all under Islamic rule. The churches that were mentioned by name in the book of Revelation, all gone, all under Islamic rule. And the Islamic rule was still growing and had plans to take over everything. If that was today, what would happen? Would there be a war? And other question, would that war be justifiable? This is where our story starts. Put yourself in these shoes before you judge, which by the end of this episode, you're going to be doing a lot of judging because, well, you'll see. So the church by this point had moved quite a ways away from the gospel. Most people couldn't even read, so they depended on the church to tell them what the Bible said. So when the church added things to the teachings of Jesus, the peasants didn't know this was happening. Leaders such as Charlemagne had started to promote the idea of relics in worship. This was for those who could not read. They could have physical things to hold and touch while they prayed that would bring them closer to God. This led to the teaching that visiting the Holy Land and seeing where Jesus had walked, where Jesus had preached, been baptized, where Jesus died and rose again, that this would bring you closer to God. In fact, some churches even preached that this trip or this pilgrimage would forgive your sins. Those who took the pilgrimage had to do so with only the shirts on their back. They had to go and trust God to provide for their needs. Because this trip would take months, there would be no one to take care of their land while they were gone. It was a trip not many could take, but those who did would return with pieces of the cross, or thorns from the crown of thorns, or tears from Mary, or fingernails of the apostles, or tents that Paul had made. Pretty much most of these relics were fakes. Probably all of them were fakes. But people paid good money for them, and they also loved to hear the stories of the adventures the pilgrims had. Over the years, these stories began to change. They began to hear first of attacks that had been placed on the pilgrims. They were stuck outside the gates of Jerusalem until they were able to pay the tax, forcing them to be beggars at the gates, begging for money from other travelers. 
Then they heard of their fellow Christians who were living in Jerusalem who were being treated as second-class citizens. They heard of churches and relics being destroyed. And they heard of the Islamists who preached a different God, who were controlling the area that had been a sacred area for God's people since the time of Abraham. On top of that, the Mediterranean Sea had become controlled by Islamic pirates who demanded taxes from ships in order to pass. They flew the black flag of the caliphate. They heard of the slave trade and pilgrims were being taken as slaves. The slave trade had become a huge problem and people were being captured and then sold in open slave markets. The pilgrimage had become something that people were not surviving. Many people left from the pilgrimage and never returned, either killed or captured and sold into slavery. At this time, a man named Peter went on a pilgrimage. He returned with horror stories of the Islamic rule that had taken over the Holy Land. Peter was a great orator and a great storyteller. He could get a crowd to listen very quickly, and people were extremely angry after hearing his stories. Think of Peter as a present-day podcaster or a YouTuber. He was a favorite of the peasants. History calls him Peter the Hermit. Not to be confused with some of the other Peters we're going to hear about in future episodes about the Crusades. Now, we are about 1,000 years since the start of this church, and this 1,000-year mark was important. Many people believed that according to the book of Revelation, Jesus would return after the 1,000-year mark, and he would return to Jerusalem. The peasants were afraid that Jesus would return and be angry to find that they had not protected Jerusalem. They also knew they had sins that had not been forgiven. Around this time, there was a few meteor showers and some very significant earthquakes. Many churches began to preach that the end was very near. Now, at this time, Roman Emperor Alexis sent a letter to the Pope Urban II asking for help. If the caliphate was not stopped, the entire eastern area of Rome would fall. Pope Urban II called for a council at Clement on November the 18th in the year 1095. The leaders of the countries in this area all came. Peter the Hermit was also there. Pope Urban called on the church to rise up and fight the caliphate in the Holy Land and free the land from the caliphate. At the council, the church set up rules of war. This is still today in the Catholic catechisms. This was also the first time a group of kings sat around and decided on a list of rules for ethical warfare and agreed to these rules. A kind of first UN, sort of. The rules were this. The war had to be defensive, it had to be winnable, and it had to do more good than harm. While harm would happen, they had to prove the good that would be done would be larger than the harm. Also, no soldier could kill in anger or in revenge. The church then added that rules and offers to the crusaders. Although they weren't called crusaders, that is another term historians give them. They would have to take a vow, and that vow could not be broken. They were then given something called an indulgence. This meant all their sins would be forgiven if they fought in the war and didn't kill with malice. Indulgences were created at this point and would become one of the worst things the church created, although they would eventually be what caused this monk named Martin Luther to question the church, but that comes much later in history and we will definitely be covering it. So, 
back to our crusades. If someone signed up, they would have the promise of eternal life. Their sins would be forgiven. Also, they would have the prestige of fighting under the banner of the cross. For a peasant in this time period, there was really no way to climb the ladder out of the caste system of peasant. Plus, you have your sins forgiven just in time since Jesus is about to return any day. Pope Urban II gave a speech. He said, Jesus said to take up your cross and follow me. We must avenge the Holy Land. We must free our people. He also said that Jesus said if someone's not willing to lay down their lives, they're not worthy of the cross. Peter the Hermit also spoke, and the people were ready to fight. Men began to sew crosses into their clothes, and some branded the cross on their chest. But women also branded the cross to their breasts, and some even branded their children. Women told their men to go and fight if they were men at all. Anyone who even questioned the call to fight was seen as a coward. People sold the little land they had to buy swords so they could fight. Pope Urban and the kings agreed to send a joint military to march to Jerusalem and free it from the caliphate. They would leave in August. But by this point, Peter the Hermit had a large following of peasants who didn't see any reason to wait for August. It was April. August was like a lifetime away. They were ready to go and fight now. So around 40,000 peasants started on their own pilgrimage to the Holy Lands with a plan to free the land from the caliphate. They brought with them only what a pilgrim was allowed to bring, basically nothing, except that they did bring swords. But they believed that God would prepare the way. They also traveled as families. So men, women, and children all together headed off to war with no supplies. If you're thinking, this doesn't sound like it's going to end well, you're correct. This is what historians call the People's Crusade. One of the very bad theologies that started to spread was the idea of replacement theology. Although the pilgrims didn't use this term, there were men who claimed to have visions that Jesus came to them and asked a question, who is my chosen people? They replied, the Jews. And Jesus said, no, I hate the Jews. It's the Christians. They're my chosen people. This is how the idea that Jerusalem should belong to the church and that the church should have control of it Since Jerusalem was meant for God's chosen people and that the church was now God's chosen people, there was a deep-seated hatred for the Jews, and this was especially true of Peter the Hermit. Along the way, another group also started the journey. They were led by a man named Walter. He didn't get a special fun name, although some call him Walter the Penniless, but most historian books just call him Walter. Walter and his group of pilgrims entered the area of Hungary. They began to steal food and the people were kind of angry about that. They had fed pilgrims before, but this was when they didn't have mass, a group of tens of thousands of them. They fought off Walter's group and Walter and his crew barely got out alive. The Hungarians took their clothes with the crosses on it and hung them on the city walls as a mockery of the group who had fled. Now, when Peter and his group arrived and saw the clothing with the crosses pinned to the city wall, they mistakenly thought that the Hungarians had declared war on the first group and killed them. Peter completely lost control of the peasants who attacked the city, and 4,000 Hungarians were killed by the crusaders. It was actually worse in the city of Worms. 
It was the month of May, not very long into their journey when the group arrived at Worms. A rumor was spread that the Jews in the city had boiled a Christian alive and then put his body into a well and poisoned the water and made the rest of the city sick. The pilgrims started to attack the Jewish community, who all ran to the church for protection. The prince opened his palace and the Jews all hid in his palace. By this point, the pilgrims had become a mob and surrounded the palace. The mob eventually made it into the palace and killed between 700 and 1,000 Jews. Other Jews ended up killing themselves as the mob made its way through the palace killing and they would rather end their own life than be killed by this mob. The pilgrims were eventually forced to leave Worms and they headed to another area. Peter had completely lost control by this time and the mob was, well, being a mob. He left to go and find supplies for the group who were now starving to death, riddled with diseases and just a mess. So two spies spread a rumor among the pilgrims that Germany had taken ice back and that there were supplies there for everyone to use. At this point, it was October and the group had been traveling for seven months. There is a man named Jeffrey and he led the group too nice to go get supplies, but it was actually a trap. The large group began walking. They crossed into a valley. The Turks were waiting for them. Arrows came from both sides and almost everyone died. Only 3,000 survived, but this was mostly the women and children who had not entered the valley. A few men, including Jeffrey, survived. They hid in a castle until they were rescued and able to return to their homes. So, in seven months, almost all of the 40,000 crusaders died. Also, they killed about 4,000 people, and they never even made it to the promised land. By the time the final stragglers landed back at home, the first crusaders had left to head towards the Holy Land. In our next episode, we're going to talk about the first crusade. But what can we learn from this episode? One, there was a legitimate reason for the crusades to start. Two, mobs taking things into their own hands doesn't end well. Three, replacement theology is not from God and often leads to Christians doing horrible things to God's chosen people who are the Jews. Four, God promised that those who bless the Jews will be blessed and those who curse the Jews will be cursed. History proves that God has always kept this promise even when it is the church that curses the Jews. So, we're starting the Crusades. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss the next episode because it gets even more intense. For more podcasts, blogs, videos, and to find out how you could have your own podcast, visit lauraleesiemens.com. Bye.